Good morning. We're so thankful to have you here this morning and uh, just want to start off with a few announcements. Announcement number one is I think for the first time since I've been at Glenlock, the food pantry will not be open this Tuesday. So July 4th, um, Independence Day falls on a Tuesday this year, and so we will the, the food pantry will not be open. So if you know of anyone who usually comes through the food pantry on Tuesdays, please let them know we'll be open every other Tuesday this month, just not this Tuesday, um, in observance of Independence Day. Also, if you are looking for any other place to volunteer, the Franklin Clothes Closet is in need of volunteers. So Pastor Neil has the details on that. Um, but if you're interested in that, please see Pastor Neil. Um, another great ministry that you can be a part of in our community. A couple of um, special events coming up. One is we're having another student intensity study. Um, this is a, like a one-day D-Now that we do at Rootful Road. Um, that'll be July the 13th, starting at 9 a.m. to about 4 p.m. at Rootful Road with us, Rootful Road and First Baptist Franklin. So any students, 6th through 12th grade, are interested in that. Time to come together, have community, have fellowship, um, but also we, we, we study the Bible. Um, that's the main, the main reason that we get together. And so it's really a really fruitful and helpful time. So if you're interested in that, please see me. Um, we have our second annual church picnic homemade ice cream contest coming up on July 16th. Um, that's a Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. It was a huge success last year. Um, and I know we got a couple of winners in here that are looking to hold on to their reign of best homemade ice cream. So um, if you like to make homemade ice cream or just eat homemade ice cream, um, come to that on July 16th from, what time did we do? 5 to 7 or 6 to 8? 6 to 8, I think it was, to avoid the heat. So 6 to 8 o'clock, and uh, we usually do hamburgers and hot dogs and have some other things for the kids. So we, that's a church-wide event. We would love for you to be there on July 16th. And then our, our students are going to the Braves game on Monday, July 31st. Um, that'll be kind of an end-of-summer outing for our students. That's $25 per student, 6th through 12th grade. Um, we're playing the Angels. I don't know if that means anything to you, but some pretty good players on the Angels. And uh, so we want that. There's a sign-up sheet in the back for that. Um, we have 25 slots available. So first come, first serve. So if you are interested in that, you can see me for any other questions you might have. Um, I'm going to talk about camp stuff just for a moment. But before I do that, I have a card for Pastor Neil for his birthday. So Pastor Neil's birthday is tomorrow. We just missed it. So we'd like to present this card to him and thank him um, for all he does for our church and to wish him a happy birthday. So. Um, over the last two weeks, we've had the, many of us have had the privilege of going to two camps. Some of us just one, but um, it, was a, it was two great weeks of proclaiming the gospel. Um, first week was at Cross Camp, which is our camp that we do with our 6th through 12th graders at Laguna Beach. And then last week, um, several of us were at Rockridge, which is in Franklin, and that's for 9th through 12-year-olds. Um, and so we had a great opportunity last week to go through the book of 1 John. We went through the Sermon on the Mount um, at Laguna Beach, but we have a picture slideshow of just some of the things that we got to do for camp. One, to just let you guys know, those of you who donated, those of you who gave, just kind of what that went towards um, and some of the fun that we got to do. And hopefully, 
for those of you students in here that didn't go, maybe to persuade you um, to join us next year, um, those are two of my favorite weeks of the year. They're two really hard, really long weeks, but very fruitful um, because God always continues to do the work that he's promised he would do. Um, and so we're thankful for that. So if you guys would give your attention to the screens, we have a short video just to kind of recap our week at Laguna Beach, at Cross Camp, and at Rockridge. Doesn't it make your heart feel good to watch kids having fun in the name of the Lord and worshiping the Lord? Uh, we're going to continue our worship service uh, today. I'll be reading from the 
book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 11. I'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 6. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be God will be good. Uh, Solomon was a wise man, and he chose to worship God and to do God's work. And I want to share with you a little uh, excerpt from some of the readings that, uh, uh, that I try to do uh, every day in Scripture, just uh, understand it kind of in layman's terms versus sometimes how the uh, Word of God, you know, explains it to us. And uh, what Solomon is summarizing here, he is summarizing that life involves both risk and opportunity. Because life has no guarantees, we must be prepared at all times. Just because life is uncertain, uh, uncertain does not mean that we should do nothing. We need a spirit of trust and adventure. Facing life's risk and opportunities with God-directed enthusiasm and faith. Waiting for a perfect condition will mean inactivity. This pra practical insight is applicable to our spiritual lives. If we wait for the perfect time and place to begin our reading of the Bible, we will never begin. If we wait for a perfect church, we will never join. If we wait for the perfect ministry, we will never serve. Take steps now to grow spiritually. Don't wait for conditions that may never exist. Let us pray. Our kind Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today, Father. And we thank you for the opportunity to live in a free country as to where we can worship you in freedom, Father. And as we go through the next few days and we celebrate this country being around for 247 years, Father, uh, we know that your hands were behind this and we know that your hands are with us today. And it's just uh, thrills our hearts to know that uh, uh, you're with us. And Father, we have many members who are traveling the next few days and we just pray that you be with them and be with all their families as they go in their different ways. And Father, as Neil brings us the message this morning, just let us have our heart and our minds open and let us learn more about your word, for we can never get too much. And Father, we're just thankful for all of our church members here. We're thankful for our church. We're thankful for all the things that we're able to do. 
and that we just pray that you'll be with us in all these things as we go forward each and every day. These things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Abby and I are filling in for Catherine this morning. But before we sing, um, I want to tell you something that, that came back to my mind this week. And it came from, from Jerry Prince several years ago. Jerry gave a, a devotion, and he talked about a cat that their family had. And Jerry said that, you know, when he would come into the house, that that cat knew that if he got just in the right spot, that Jerry hand was in just the right place where he'd rub that cat on the head and the cat enjoyed that and his his message to us was you know if we'll get in the right place with our hearts and with our minds that, that God will do the same thing to us and God's word tells us that you know if we'll draw close to him that he'll draw close to us so I pray that this morning that, that we'll clear our minds and just uh, make it our desire this morning to worship him and draw close to him so if you'll stand we're going to start singing uh, this morning, holy, holy, holy.
and you need me to, I'm going to sing. So um, it's a song that blessed me, and I'm going to probably get emotional and cry, but just try to listen to the words. Um, it's a song that got me through a lot, and so I want to share with you. But um, I'm going to start crying first. Um, the song is written and performed, um, and then later the person that wrote this song added a verse. And you cannot find the music, but include that last verse. And the last verse to me is the most powerful. Because I'm going to sing it a cappella because we can't leave the last verse out. And I'll take a minute. Please pray for me. Um, but just... pathway is broken and the signs are unclear and I don't know the reason why you brought me here but just because you love me the way that you do I'm gonna walk through the valley if you want me to Cause I'm not who I was when I took my first step and I'm clinging to the promise you're not through with me yet so if all of these trials bring me closer to you then I will go through the fire if you want me to may not be the way I would have chosen when you lead me through a land that's not my home. But you never said it would be easy. You only said I'd never go alone. So when the whole world turns against me, and I'm all by myself and I can't hear you answer my cries for help I'll remember the suffering your love put you through and I will go through the darkness if you want me to when I cross over Jordan, I'm going to sing, I'm going to shout. Just imagine that, just imagine. I'm going to look into your eyes and say, you never let me down, so put me on the pathway that leads home to you, and I will go through the valley if you want me to.
thank you. You remain standing if you want. We're going to, Abby and I are going to sing one more song before we'll sing. As we turn to our passage, the children, 
this time can leave for Children's Church. As they leave, the rest of us turn to Galatians chapter 6. I see Miss Yvonne back there in the back. As we turn to Galatians 6, we are coming to the end of our series in the book of Galatians. And a lot that we have already um, heard from what Durrell has said and what Todd has said and certainly what Katrina uh, just sang and the hymns uh, that Todd and Abby led us through. Everything uh, connects to what we're going to learn this morning in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 25 though so that we can see that this section is a uh, lengthy application to everything that has gone before us in the book. Now my temptation is to review everything that we've talked about in the book of Galatians, but I'm going to resist the temptation to do that and just assume that you've heard me refer to the fruit of the Spirit enough to have them memorized by now. But this is the Spirit-led and the Spirit-infused life. How do we apply the gospel and all that God is doing into real-life circumstances and situations? So the end of the book gets very specific, it gets very practical, and it, and it calls us all to examine our own personal heart to see where we are in our application. So I want to begin with verse 26, but we're only going to expound uh, 6 through 10. So, we'll get started. If, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Then last week he said, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regards to another. For each one shall bear his own load. So we saw there the, the great need for personal responsibility and accountability and examination and how that fits into the whole ministry of not only the church, but your individual ministry as a Christian. Before you can minister to others, you first must be aware of what God is doing in and through you. Then we can, then and only then, can we become burden bearers in the life of the church? So in verse 6, this first word, and, ties this whole section together. So then he says, and, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And that's a direct connection to Ecclesiastes, where Durrell read in chapter 11, sowing in the morning, sowing in the evening, sowing at supper time, right? Some of you get that. Then he says in verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh 
shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S meaning Holy Spirit, shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verse 9, let us not lose heart. Do not lose heart. I'm thinking now of what Katrina just sang. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in doing good. If he calls you to walk through the valley, walk through the valley. But do not be discouraged. He is with you. Verse 9, do not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity... While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all men, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. There's only one faith, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one household, and that is the household of faith that is the the church, the people who know Christ, belong to Christ, believe in Christ, and follow Christ. So, What is different about those of us who, by God's grace, have been made a part of the household of the faith? That's what I pray we will see this morning in this passage. Father, thank you so much for our gathering. This is a gathering of the saints, your holy ones. And though we still battle discouragement and weariness and disappointment and hurt and pain, We are fallen sinners living in a fallen world. At the same time, you call us to press on and to endure. And to have our lives marked by your spirit and your grace. And we know that through the teaching and preaching of the word that a difference is made. So, as Todd has reminded us, may we put ourselves in the place of your grace under your word. Totally surrendered and submitted to what you would teach us from the book of Galatians this particular morning as we gather in your name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, So Bryson has mentioned youth camp and children's camp, and I'm still processing all that God was showing me through camp. And so I want to thank Bryson for giving me a really good group of middle school boys to kind of pull out to the side as a small group. So the way it works is you would go to a worship service in the evenings, and then after the worship service, I would meet with these four guys. And we had groups, and we had adults assigned to those groups throughout the whole week. But I particularly, particularly had what I thought was a very, a very good group. And so on one particular night, we were asked in the service to talk about the things that we would like for other people to know about us. In fact, we were asked to mention what are three things that you would like for other people to know about you. And so as adults, those are things that you and I need to be thinking about spiritually because that's what Paul calls us to do. Let's examine ourselves let's see where we are and what are we communicating with other people but as I talked to these guys I found out these guys are very interesting listen to some of their answers one young man says I would like other people to know that I like fishing 
And I like dirt bikes. And I'm shy. One of the other guys said, I'm scared of public speaking. I thought, join, join the crowd, right? And he says, I want other people to respect me. Third young man said, I like to fish. And I want other people to know that I'm a Christian. Then another guy said, I like soccer. I like baseball. And I have three dogs. <laughs> so you see the wide variety and the interest. And, you know, you go from, from the... the, the surface things to the deeper things. Now, as I sort through this particular passage, I want to organize it like this. Paul, in this section, has for us what a Christian, what someone who is a member of the household of faith, these are essential qualities that ought to mark our lives. In other words, we should live in such a way that when other people come to know us, that through our light and our salt and the fact that we are a city and a household of faith set on a hill, that other people learn the following things about us. So I have six words, six action verbs that I have for us this morning that I think come from this text. So these are spiritual marks of the Spirit-infused life. When people get to know you, are these the things they discover? As Paul says, let each of us examine our, ourselves. So, the first word this morning is growing. Growing. Are you growing? Now, I take this from verse 6 because Paul says to the Galatians, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. So one of the marks of the believer is that we are taught. And if you study the Bible and you study the New Testament, the reason that we are taught God's word is that we should grow into maturity to be like Christ. Paul said to the Colossians, we are warning every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4 and, and throughout the New Testament, the emphasis is on instruction from the word that has a purpose. And the purpose is the spiritual nourishment and growth of the body of believers. So we are all gathered here this morning as people who need teaching. By definition, a disciple is a learner. A learner. Someone who is in the school of Christ, in the school of the gospel, in the school of the word of God. And as we feed upon the word of God, it transforms our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes to reflect the thoughts and the mind and the attitude and the heart of Jesus Christ. This word that Paul uses in verse 6, the one who is taught, literally means, literally means one receiving instruction. But if you're like me, by nature, one of the things that I struggle with is being told what to do. 
But the other aspect of us by nature is that by nature we are ignorant of God. By nature we don't know God. And so we desperately need God's revelation to instruct us and to teach us in the way that we should go. On my own, I'm spiritually ignorant. So we have to continue to confess our need for teaching, for training, and learning for the process and the goal of personal growth. Think in this particular context, Mary and Martha. When Jesus went into the home of Mary and Martha, what was the difference between Mary and Martha? Mary spent her time seated being instructed by Christ and Martha's running around like a busybody worried about all the details of the social gathering. And what did Jesus say comes first? Mary seated at the feet of Jesus. She chose the best part. She chose the good part. And she would not lose what God was giving to her through Christ. Now, I had someone put it like this to me years ago, that if we would start like Mary and then work like Martha, we could all begin to live like Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. And I thought that was a very interesting and a very good way of putting it. But what this implies is that the Word of God has an inherent power in it. That what this particular point of growth is about is valuing and cherishing and hungering for the Word of God. Isaiah 55 tells us that God's Word will never ever return what void without accomplishing what God has called it to accomplish. Then when we think about sowing and reaping, one of the first things we should think of is that the Word of God is like seed that is implanted into the heart and the mind of the individual to change us and to grow us and to feed us. And some of Jesus' last words were, If you love me, feed my sheep. But I first have to confess that I am one of those sheep who is desperately in need of feeding. So the Galatians had been deceived. They had been misled. There were false teachers coming in and out of the fellowship. And so the first thing that Paul wanted to remind them of is that they are people who are in need of being taught what? Taught the Word. So that's our first question. Do other people recognize about you that you are growing? That you're growing in grace, that you're growing in knowledge, that you're growing in the faith? The second word this morning, and I've got six of them. I was talking with my family last night. They're not here. They're out of town. What are you talking about tomorrow? I says, I've got six points. Six? <laughs> so they know me well. So after hearing them say that, I'm going to kind of, you know, give it to you uh, in an organized, timely manner here. The second word is sharing. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Now the word sharing there that Paul uses is koinonia. It means oneness. And it is a oneness that part of what connects us is the generosity 
that you and I are to give toward one another. And the particular application here, and Paul tells Timothy, Timothy this, the ministers and teachers who work hard at preaching and teaching ought to receive from the body generous sources of income and all the good things that we share together because we value as a people the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So this tells me as a pastor and minister that I need to work hard at this and this tells all of us that because we value the Word, we ought to pay the preachers well. That we shall not muzzle the ox who treads out the corn. Now, here I am on my birthday, and I bet there's money or a card in the card you gave me. <laughs> and I just want to say that this church does this verse very well in relationship to yours truly. In 23 years, neither myself nor my family have lacked any good thing that God desired for us to have. It is a biblical concept. It is a practical concept. And when I got, when I, when I got into the ministry, that's the wrong way to put it. When God called me into the ministry as a young man, I had a college degree, I had a business degree, and I literally had people tell me, you're never going to make any money. Why would you do that when you could make so much more money doing something else? I had several thoughts when people would tell me that type of thing. But after years in the ministry, as I look back to some of those statements that were made to me, they were not factoring in the gracious generosity of God nor God's people. And week after week and month after month and year after year, not only this church, but many churches have treated the pastor and their families very well. One of the things that stood out to me at youth camp, and, and Bryson can vouch for this, we had six, seven pastors with us at youth camp. I don't think most churches know how hard pastors work in preparation and study for the teaching and preaching of the Word of God to God's people, which builds us up and edifies. And every morning before breakfast, there's six or seven guys, and they're alone with their Bible or their laptop and their notes, and what are they working for? They are working for Sunday morning because we live with the knowledge that Sunday is coming. And I'm encouraged because every single one of the, these guys were younger than me. And every single one of these guys not only do that the week of camp while they're down there, but I know these guys, and I see how seriously they take what they do. And, and, and every single week, they pour their heart and mind and soul into the study for the preparation of the Word of God that edifies the people of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the way he builds his church is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. But if you look at what we are called to be as Christians in general, not just in particular to this, in paying the preachers and teachers, but in general we are called to generosity. Look at Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit came on the church at Pentecost, what did they begin doing? They began giving and selling and sharing so that none of them had lack. Now, for my own particular situation, I don't know about you, but I notice greediness 
in my own heart in all sorts of places. And that's what Paul is calling us to check. Check yourself. For example, have you noticed that now in some situations when you go to tip people, the person that you're tipping is sitting there saying, would you like to add a tip? And not only that, but, but, but in some particular places I go, they will ask, how much would you like to add? <laughs> and I've noticed in my own heart that I always add a little bit more if I know that that person is going to see immediately who gave what. But what you and I need to be aware of is that God is always aware of what we are giving in all particular situations. So just from the first verse, Christians ought to be marked by growing and by sharing. The third word is sowing. S-O-W, not S-E-W, just so we're all clear. Now this is a principle that is certain, it's universal, it applies in all sorts of areas... Some of the commentators that I read this week implied that, that financial giving and money is, is what he's talking about all throughout verses 6 through 10. But I actually think it extends much broader than that to other principles. So this is what he says in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So let's think for a moment about our sowing ministry and what you and I are sowing into. Paul says, imagine that you have two fields in your life. You've got a field over here that's called the flesh. You've got a field over here that's called the spirit. In what field are you spending your time sowing? Sowing. He warns us, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Now this word mock means to snub. To turn, up the, to turn up the nose at in mockery or contempt. To dismiss God. To try to make him look silly or ridiculous. This is blatant rebellion and mockery. One of the reasons we sang holy, holy, holy is that I want us to drive home the fact that God cannot and will not be mocked because it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so rather than mockery and rather than, than snubbing God or turning up our nose at God, you and I are to live in humble reverence and worship of Him at all times. That is commandment number one. And so to think that we could ever get away with mockery of God is the height of rebellion and ridiculousness to invent a word. Paul particularly warns against sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh. And then he encourages and commands sowing to the Spirit. So to understand fully what he's talking about, you've got to go back to chapter 5. and You've got to sort back through the deeds of the flesh and ask yourself in what way Am I tempted to invest my time, energy, money, and emotion into the deeds of the flesh? Rather, I am to be busy sowing to the Spirit. 
Now, this is a time to examine our words and our deeds and our attitudes and our actions. We will never outwit God. We will never out-savvy God. We will never outrun God. Just ask Jonah. One of the commentators that I lean on a good bit is a man by the name of John Stott. And because of the practicality of what he says about sowing to the flesh, I want to read his quote because it gets very specific as to what it might look like or what it is to sow to the flesh. He says to sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cosset it, cuddle it, stroke it. Instead of crucifying the flesh, the seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Thoughts and deeds. Did you realize your your thoughts and your your deeds are all sowing? My, My thoughts are sowing something. Years ago, I learned this, that if you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a character, you'll reap what? A destiny. So, what are my thoughts? Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity... We're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up praying. Every time we look at pornography. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control. Every time we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. So I'm grateful for Stott's specificness. Of what that means. Rather we are sowed to the Spirit. We know what it means to sow to the Spirit. It means to invest in the things of God. We talk about them all the time. Putting ourselves in the path of grace. Coming to worship. Praying. Reading your Bible. Serving in a ministry. Actively engaging myself in the life in the body of the church of Jesus Christ. We are all busy sowing in one field or the other. And so I imagine my grandfather telling me, today we are not working in that field. You stay out of that field. We're going to work in this field. Which field? The field of the Spirit. Let's move on to number four. So we're growing. We're sharing. We're sowing. But also in the same process, we're, we're daily reaping. Now, what he lays out before us are two extremely contrasting results. This he will also reap. One is eternal life, which is not just our future in heaven, but eternal life begins now. It is the life of God in the souls of men. We have already passed from death to life And we are to walk in life and life abundantly. Eternal life is one reaping. The other reaping is destruction. This is a very vivid word, a very um, descriptive word, destruction. This is a corpse in process of decomposition. A corpse in the process of decomposition. So if I continually sow to the flesh, 
Not only am I in death, but I am dying, and the soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death, and the effects of sowing to the flesh are seen in our lives, in our bodies, in our consequences, the decay, the aging, the toll of sin on every aspect of life. Think Lazarus dead in the tomb. But Jesus calling to him and giving him life. We are reaping. What are we reaping? Years ago, I heard a pastor describe this very well. And as he described it, I took notes and put them in the margin of my Bible because I said, that's really, really good. When you and I sow, we will reap exactly what we sow. In other words, if you sow corn, what are you going to reap? Not tomatoes, you're going to reap corn. When we sow, we also reap more than we sow. The multiplication aspect here. If you sow one grain of corn, how much corn is going to come from that in the multiplication process? Lots. Lots of ears of corn. Lots of tomatoes. Uh, The negative side of this is my grandmother used to tell me, if you tell one lie, you're going to have to tell another and another and another. This is the multiplication factor in the the process of sowing and reaping. Not only will we reap exactly what we sow or more than we sow in either direction, but we will also reap later than we sow. There's the future element to this. It's very rare that the consequence in the reaping is exactly when the sowing happens. There is a future element that it takes time. Therefore... You and I need to keep sowing and keep reaping. Keep sowing and keep reaping. Keep sowing to the Spirit rather than the flesh. So we are growing, we are sharing, we are sowing, we are reaping. We are also serving. That's number five. So then is the application to the principle of reaping and sowing. Look at verse 10. So then, here's, what, here's how we live in light of that divine principle of sowing and reaping. While we have opportunity, that is a word of divine providence. That is a word that is saying God has given you times and places and opportunities, and your life is limited, it's short, it's brief. While you have the opportunity, while this is season of sowing and reaping, let us do good to everybody. Do good to everybody. What is he saying? You're looking for ways to serve and help in practical, gracious ways all the people that you come into contact with. Loving your neighbor as God has first loved you. Doing good. Not just hearing the word, but working it out. Not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. You've received good, now do good. These are divine opportunities to fulfill the law of Christ. Don't waste your time, but make the most of every opportunity. Jesus went about doing good, and he has called his people to go about doing good. So what are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your resources? And put those into practice daily, doing good to everybody, but especially to the church. Because we are going to be together forever. This is an investment in the eternal. 
and then doing good in light of the gospel to build up the household of faith so that more people could come to know Christ. Go and make disciples. The evangelism piece of this, doing good to all people so that some of those all people could become part of the household of the faith. Think the Good Samaritan. Rather than passing on by like the priest and the Levite, do what you can, when you can, how you can, in as many ways as you can. We should be known by our serving. Then last of all, our enduring. Enduring. Paul drives this home not only here, but everywhere. Do not lose heart in doing good. Then he says, if we do not grow weary. This implies, and you already know it well, life and ministry is exhausting. It is comprehensive. It is all day, every day. We don't take any days off or plays off. This is the battle. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how do we keep from giving up? How do we keep from throwing in the towel? Where will we get patience and endurance? How do we not live lives of quiet despair? How do we endure? Well, I want to close my sermon by pointing to our source of endurance. And that is Jesus Christ himself and especially the suffering that he went through to fulfill the work of rescuing us and saving us. Katrina alluded to it in her song. In fact, she didn't just allude to it. She specifically mentioned in that last lyric, or maybe the one before, the suffering that Christ went through on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and so that we could become a member of the household of faith. So for you to be growing... We must consider his growing. Jesus grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. For us to be sharing, we must contemplate and remember his sharing of all that he did and all that he was. His whole life was a sharing, his sowing. Jesus himself said he was the seed which falls into the ground and dies and is crushed and brings forth much fruit. His death on Calvary and his planting into the tomb was a seed dying and giving of itself to bring forth this great harvest. So we see his sowing and his reaping. What was his reaping? The glory of the resurrection, the glory of the ascension. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. Look at his serving. Not only did he go about doing good, but he did very good. Sacrificial good. Stooping to touch lepers. Washing feet. Raising the dead. And then his endurance through the wilderness. And the temptation with Satan. Through Gethsemane where he prays, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Look at God being mocked on the cross. God is not mocked, but they were mocking Jesus. They were snubbing their nose at Christ. You saved others, why can't you save yourself? Come down from the cross if you said you were going to come down from the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. And then you got the cursing and the profane vileness of the thief that refused to believe. The mockery he endured. God has given us his son, and God has given us 
His Spirit, so that you and I, by the grace of God, might fulfill all of these qualities. I'll close with a quick illustration. Uh, Wednesday morning, Brother Howard, Miss Becky, and myself went and did a patriotic service for July the 4th for Carrollton Manor and the dear folks there on Wednesday morning. And Miss Becky chose, out, chose a couple of songs. And we were like some of you dressed up in our patriotic gear because we had the spirit of 76 on us, right? Red, white, and blue hats, necklaces, and all this other stuff. And they were decked out. And, and so we started singing these songs, and I shared a brief devotion. In fact, I shared a shorter version of what I just shared with you. And some of you are thinking, I would have liked to have had that one. Hang with me. So we sing America the Beautiful. And we sing You're a Grand Old Flag. I used to sing this song as a child, but I, you know, a lot of these songs, I never really, never really listened to the lyrics. You listen to the lyrics of You're a Grand Old Flag? No, but you're about to. And here's one to my left. You know, every year about this time, we become patriotic so that we will remember what binds us together. The, the sacrifice, the freedom, all that our country has been through. The song goes like this. You're a grand old flag. You're a high-flying flag. And forever in peace may you wave. You're the emblem of the land I love, the home of the free and the brave. And it says this, every heart beats true under red, white, and blue. Where there's never a boast or a brag. But should old acquaintance be forgot, keep your eye on the grand old flag. That's a powerful song. That's an interesting song because that flag represents sacrifice and unity and cooperation Freedom and gratitude and celebration. This song says that us living together under a flag like that, that represents what it represents, that we should never be boastful and we should never be selfishly braggers because we're all united by a common theme. If you've been listening to the book of Galatians, Paul is taking what we say about the flag to a much higher level. That if we know temporally and geographically and patriotically what it means to, to come together once a year and say this is who we are and, and we should all be sacrificial and selfless, not, not bragging or boasting because who are we? We're here in freedom this morning because of the sacrifice of other people. But I'm going to land this at the cross. Because Paul is going to say next week in verse 14, God forbid that I glory in anything besides the cross of Jesus through which I'm crucified and the world's crucified to me. So what's his appeal to the Galatians? Something beyond a grand old flag. It's the grand old cross, the glory of the cross. And there should never be any conceit or selfishness 
or bragging. Rather, there should be a life marked by the Spirit. And the Spirit produces in us qualities like growing and sharing and sowing and reaping. And what? Serving and loving and helping and enduring. Going back to Katrina singing about the valley, how can we endure through the valley if he calls us to do that? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy before him endured the cross for us. It's the only way these qualities are produced. No selfishness, no boasting. The only other way, the better way, is the way of Christ. Not losing heart, in doing good. Father, thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for this whole book of Galatians, which lands in such a practical way, challenging us and convicting us on how we sin and fall short of your glory. Father, we need these qualities every hour, and we need you every hour, desperately. Father, we're grateful for the grace that allows us to be part of the household of faith. We're grateful for the grace we receive and then that we share with others. Help us to see the need to do this for all people, but especially the church. For the church is the church for which you died. You gave yourself up and your life for the church. And if we're not part of the household of the faith, I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted and turn and run to Christ for salvation. If we already are part of the household of faith, increase our awareness and our understanding of how we need to be participating in the sowing to the Spirit and not the flesh, which leads to destruction. In Christ's name we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Let's stand and sing about going wherever He leads. You come as we sing.
Amen. Hey, we are blessed when Catherine's out to have Todd and Abby uh, to lead us. Um, so we are, we are grateful for their stepping in their service. Thank all of you so much for being here this morning. Any word before we close? I do that to cover myself because I've usually forgotten something. Mr. Dave. Amen. Amen. We're grateful for Mr. David and grateful for the ministry that you have at the, at the jail and for your wife Sharon. Continue to pray for you. Um, any other word? Okay, no services tonight. Y'all have a blessed week. Uh, celebrating the 4th with your family. No Wednesday for students or children. Uh, adults, we will have Bible study Wednesday night. Not that we're trying to be better than them, but we got some catching up to do, okay? So uh, we talked about that on Wednesday. So see some of you then. Uh, food pantry closed on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, hey, no lunch Tuesday. All right. Let's sing Family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joined as with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Thank you all.